Welcome to the arena, where sometimes the hardest part is showing up. My name is Linda McLaughlin. Thank you for being here. When I thought about my guests for season one of this podcast, I knew I wanted to bring together a diverse set of guests and stories. We were encouraged to start with someone close to home. No one is closer to home than my brother, Lyle. The concept of this podcast is about living courageously. And while Lyle's examples are largely about his running and cycling experiences, there's a lot to be learned about how he shows up and how he keeps going, no matter how hard it gets. Thanks for listening. This is episode one. Thank you so much for doing this. Well, I'm happy to be here. Great. <laughs> I think that's what the guests are supposed to say. Oh, it's great to be here. Ah, I've wanted to do this for a long time. My little intro for you is Lyle is a marathoner, mm. engineer, father, husband, and my brother. Yeah. He's also a great storyteller. He regularly sets goals for himself, but rarely shares what he has planned until he's already well on his way. Why did you start running? Because we were going to have kids. <laughs> I think you're supposed to start running before. <laughs> so, so, I mean, I, I, I was a cyclist, you know, and, and, and yeah. I got into... I wasn't, I wasn't a runner in high school. Um, I was never a cyclist either. But in 2006, I had done the Tour d'Afrique, which is a cycling race event that goes across Africa from one end to the other. And, and we got home and Chris and I had been recently married. We were going to have kids. And so I was like, okay, well, going out for three or four hour bike rides just wasn't going to be possible to say, oh, look, it's Sunday morning. I'm heading off and I'll be back whenever. Because you got kids, you got responsibilities. So, okay, well, that's going to be more difficult. And through my cycling adventures, I'd met a lot of multi-sport athletes, people who who had done these cycling events, but had also had been runners, had done marathons, had done other things. So it always kind of had been in, in the back of my mind, like, well, yeah, this, this running thing, this marathon thing. So yeah, I decided, well, I guess I'll, I'll start running and that will sort of replace the the physical outlet that cycling was for me. And then, of course, over time, you started running a lot and it probably sucks up just as much time as the cycling ever did. <laughs> I, I, was, I was wondering about that. I had to say, I was like, don't you run for three or four hours at a time? But I mean, it, but, it, but, it, but in the start, you know, it was yeah. like, you know, you're going out for half an hour, you're going out for, for an hour, maybe. At what point did you embrace the idea that you were a runner? You know, that's... It's a good question because for a long time, I always thought of myself as a cyclist. I was just doing the running because I couldn't do the cycling. But as soon as I could go back to the cycling, I would I'd do another transcontinental trip or we do cycling trips with the kids. But yeah, I mean, after 13 years plus, like you kind of have to face the facts that yeah, you're you're a runner. I think of a lot of different stories, certainly some major races that you've worked toward. You mentioned Tour d'Afrique and being EFI every fucking inch on that bike and traveling across Canada. You've had many such adventures. Many of them required an ability to push past where you potentially thought you could go. What does living courageously mean to you? Yeah, I've, I've, I've done some stuff. You know, some, some, some things that, that, that most people don't, but certainly lots of people have. But I kind of seek out opportunities. I seek out, I guess, ways of, of challenging myself. Part of it is just, just wanting to stay fit. But, you know, yeah, you, you have to have courage to do these things. 
you have to align your life and organize your life to do these things and have the careers to do that. Like there is nothing easier in this world than sitting on the couch. That's just easy. And thousands of years of evolution have taught you that this is the right thing to do. Conserve the energy, survive the failed harvest, survive the awful winter, sit on the couch. So, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. And this is why we put on weight and this is why we can't lose weight. So you kind of have to have the courage to, to get up off the couch and, and go do these things because the easiest thing is to do nothing. Living courageously, to me, it's just about going out and doing stuff to show for your day, to show for your, for your year. At the end of the year, I can measure myself and say, I ran these races. I did these things. I sat on the couch and I binge watched something. I don't know if anybody really wants to measure themselves that way. And, I, and I'm not disparaging anybody. For me, I, I have to move. So, How important is it to have those milestones a little further out to sort of pull you forward and, and keep you focused on the next thing? Because your current race may maybe had a lingering injury or it wasn't the best time or it was too cold, it was too hot. Those factors you can't necessarily control, but having something further out, how does that help? Well, I mean, it sort of guides the things you need to do between now and then. I'm as goal-oriented or deadline-oriented as anybody. I mean, for, for me, having those races or those goals out there are, are important. But I also, in particular in this time, you know, you, you find yourself asking and, and answering that question like, so if I don't have any races for the next six months or a year or 18 months, like, so why am I doing this today? Why don't I just do it tomorrow or the next day? Part of it is there's other things in my life and other trips that, well, I got to do it today because I can't do it tomorrow. What I'm finding is a lot of the, the training that I put in that goes towards the race ultimately helps me with fatherhood in the sense that, I mean, I'm 49 and I got a nine-year-old son. Well, I'm going to be pushing 60 when he's still a teenager. So if you want to do things with your kids, if you want to be able to, to kick the soccer ball around, you want to be able to ride your bike with them, you want to go on a hike or a canoe trip, well, you got to physically be able in good enough shape to do that. Staying active, being active and looking after myself. That's probably the biggest biggest why right now. My sense is that you want your actions to speak for themselves, that you want to show your kids that if you set your mind to something and put the work in, that, yeah. it, that it can be achieved. Yeah, for sure. The example of training for the marathon. Yes, you can do nothing. You can show up. You can run a marathon. People have done it. But I put in, you know, 12 to 20 weeks of hard work and, and a lot of miles to prepare for that. So you try and demonstrate that to the kid. At the same time, I mean, I do these things for me. You have to be selfish in, in that sense. Like I run these marathons for me. I don't do it to inspire anybody. I'm not fundraising. I'm not a charity fundraiser. I do it for me. But at the same time, I hope that people can look at this and go, man, my crazy old dad, he used to run all the time, he used to do all these marathons all this time. And you can look at it and say, well, like he did that. Why can't I do X, Y, or Z? What was the most significant race that you've run? You know, you, you sort of remember them all. I mean, I've done, I've done 33 now. They're all unique. They're all different. I mean, Toronto was a special, special race. I mean, I set my personal best there. Um, I dedicated basically a, a whole year to it. I was trying to qualify for the Boston Marathon, which I successfully did, but had never been able to do before. I did a whole bunch of things that year that I, I didn't do normally. And I, I literally put all my eggs in one basket. 
uh, I was going to run that race. I was either going to explode or I was going to have a fantastic day. There was there was no sort of middle ground. So I, I, I went out hard. I ran hard. I stayed running hard. If anything, I picked my pace up even a little bit towards the end. And it was a perfect day, perfect weather. It was perfect conditions. I felt great. Health, training block had gone great. It sort of had never all aligned like that before. And it's never aligned like that since. So, you, you know, you, you, you do all these races and you, and you just never know when lightning's going to strike. And, and you wish you could put it in a bottle and, and then, you know, unleash it on, on another day. But you keep showing up, right? Uh, and on that day, it was, it was awesome. You know, the challenge is, you know, is, is trying to recover from that. When you, you think, well, you got to recover from failure. Well, recovering from success is kind of hard too, right? Because, you know, recover from failure. Oh man, what happened? It was a disaster. Oh, what did I do wrong? And you do all this psychoanalysis of, of everything. But you have a great success like that. You're like, okay, cool. Now, where do I go from here? Well, maybe there is no go from here. And in my case, it was a there was a decline after that. It, it was sort of really hard to to sort of maybe accept it. Like I'm never going to run that fast again. Uh, time has gone by now. It, it's been uh, another five years. I'm five years older. You know, all kinds of things have happened. So dealing with success is sometimes hard too. So what was your hardest race? There's been lots of hard ones, but uh, for sure, Boston in 2017 was pretty tough. Um, I, I biked across Canada biked across Africa, run umpteen other races, done umpteen other things. And that, that day was probably the, the hardest thing I've ever, I've ever had to do. Um, there was just there, everything just kind of went wrong leading, leading up to that race. As I said, Toronto was great. And then there was a decline after that. You know, I, I, I tried to keep pushing uh, off of Toronto and I, I ended up getting injured and I've never really ever been the same since. I did get better by the time 2017 rolled around and things were rolling along really good. Training block was going great. And then I got injured again. Well, so I couldn't run. So I was going into Boston now injured and undertrained. And then, yeah, April 1st, you know, my, my dad passed away, our dad. Mm-hmm. Now we weren't particularly close, but uh, I can't see how that helps you have a good race. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, no kidding. You know, there was all of that going on. You know, we we're, were there in Boston talking about planning the memorial service. You know, like or which we, which we did after the race, and then like in in the days leading up to the race. I mean, I I, I came down with uh, with GI distress. You know, I had diarrhea, and it was a hot day. I don't run well in heat, so I'm lined up out there in Hopkinton. You know, the, this is the pinnacle, right? This is Boston, man. Like. Everybody tries to get here. Not a lot of everybody does. So I'm injured. I'm undertrained. I'm sick. I got father's death, you know, two, three weeks earlier in a suboptimal conditions. Okay, let's go. You line up in those corrals. There's four waves. And I was in the second wave. Second is there five waves. So basically, you know, my wave takes off. You know, I'm chugging along and basically all my 8,000 runners that I'm with eventually make their way down the road and I'm at the back of that pack. You know? And then 15 minutes after me, they fire the gun again and they send out another 8,000 people. Well, they caught me and they all passed me out there on the rope. And the wave after that ended up catching up with me as well. So like, I'm, I'm not having a great day. And, uh, you know, you, you kept going and it was my slowest Slowest finishing time ever by, by quite a bit, you know, but, but you persevere and you keep going. 
there's there's certain landmarks on that race course that everybody everybody knows about the, the Sitco sign, you know, uh, Fenway Park, all these sorts of things that all oh, you, you make a note of. I don't remember. You know, I was just so so locked in on the three meters in front of me that I didn't see this stuff. There's not a lot of turns on the course. I think there's about four or five, but there's two right at the end, right on Hereford, left on Boylston, down the finishing straight. So coming into the finish, I had done, I had walked, you know, a, a fair bit in the, you know, particular latter half of the race, but I said, I got to run that stretch. Okay, cool. So I turned right on Hereford. I'm going to run this thing in. It'll be great. Kristen, the kids had somehow through all the traffic and the, you know, the, the metro lines and the crowds, they managed to squeeze into the crowd on, on Hereford. And I didn't stop and say hello. I know why I didn't, but there is a photo of me taken by one of the pro photographers. And I'm looking across at them as I'm running because Krista and the kids are shouting, right? But I didn't stop because I wanted I wanted to run it in. I mean, I kind of wish I had stopped, but you know, you, you run your race, you do your best. So, so you know, I, I, I finished and I got to the end and I had actually carried my phone with me that day, which again is a really unusual thing for me me to do like that's just extra weight but because of all everything going on and carried the phone so when i crossed i was able to let everybody know hey i finished i'm okay and there was uh there was a text from krista and uh <laughs> you know the text was basically said omg you're one tough bastard <laughs> i know so, yeah, I mean, put it on the gravestone, I guess, eh? One tough <laughs> bastard. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, that was uh, was a hard day. You run these races, you you run the race alone, but, but nobody gets to the starting line without somebody else, you know, without help, without support, without people. I've been fortunate that in quite a few of my races, I've had family there or friends there to... To cheer you on. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with me before we finish up? Your theme, you know, is, you know, the arena and, and living a courageous life. And I, I just say, you know, you, you're, you're capable of a lot more than you think. Everybody is. There is a litany of inspirational people out there that have beat addiction, you know, lost weight, overcome whatever issues in their life and, and gone on to do things, whether they're physical achievements or just got themselves through school or raised kids or, or whatever. People are, are capable of quite a lot and, and more than they probably give themselves credit for. So have courage and uh, get out there and get after it. Sounds good. Thanks, Lai. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts and tune in to hear my next guest's coming out story and some of her wonderful spoken word poetry. Until next time, I'm your host, Linda McLaughlin in the arena. <laughs>